Let's open up our Bibles then to Romans chapter 6. Continuing on in this glorious epistle that the Lord has given to us, we are going to be picking up where we left off two weeks ago. Again, thank you to Joseph Raber who filled in on very short notice uh, last week because I had a cough that just would not stop. And so we are picking back up now. We are going to be in verse 19. Hear the word of the Lord now from Romans chapter 6, verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting from, at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Let's pray together. Almighty God, thank you for your living, supernatural, inerrant word. Pray, God, that as we... Look into your word together that you would illuminate our hearing by your spirit. Pray, Lord, that you would accomplish your good work by your spirit through your word this morning of opening blinded eyes and deaf ears, of causing even the dead to be raised. Lord, of of comforting your people, encouraging your people, strengthening your people, convicting of sin, pointing us towards righteousness. Lord, all of these things are the work of your spirit. You pray for myself as I proclaim your word, that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart will be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, two two weeks ago, we started looking at this powerful metaphor that Paul is using for the Christian life, that of slavery. When a person is converted, he is transformed, transferred instantly from one type of slavery to another type of slavery. And so those who are in Christ Jesus experience a dramatic shift from this cruel, tyrannical enslavement to sin that we were once under, which leads, Paul says, only to unrighteousness and ultimately destruction. And in the moment of conversion, we are are transported from that kind of slavery into the gracious reign of the government of grace, which leads inevitably to righteousness and life. So all of those who are in Christ experience this dramatic fundamental shift, not just in our belief, not just in our thinking, but also in our behavior. We are, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And so Paul is explaining for us how this works in the Christian by using this analogy of slavery. There are, Paul is is juxtaposing two polar opposites, and he's saying there's nothing in between these two. Every single person is going to be in one of these two categories. There are two ways of living. There's nothing in between them. We are either in Christ, and therefore alive, or we are dead in sin. 
We either submit ourselves to the master sin or we submit ourselves before the master God. We either live for God in his glory or we rebel against God and live for ourselves. We submit ourselves to sin. And Paul has been showing us with this analogy that there's no crossover between these two things. There's no intermingling going on. You don't find yourself somewhere in the middle. Okay, I'm not completely obedient to God. There's these areas of holdout I want to hold on to, but I'm not as bad as those people, so don't lump me in with them. Paul says, no, that's exactly where you are. So now Paul elaborates further, verse 19, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Paul explains why he's using this analogy. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. In other words, you couldn't possibly fathom what's going on here. You couldn't possibly fully understand all that God is doing here, but here's an analogy, and if you'll understand this analogy, this analogy of slavery, this analogy of having a, a master, this, uh, this analogy of having to be obedient to that master, if we can understand this, it's going to give us a better grasp on what actually happened to us in our conversion. And so Paul says, just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity, and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. So, so Paul is describing here the state of all of humankind before a conversion of the Christian. All humankind are in this same boat. He's describing the bondage that sin produces. Sin, sin tells us, and again, he's using this language of presenting your members. Uh, in these verses. We saw this a couple weeks ago. This is, this is the language of handing over your weapon to an opposing enemy to be used against you. And that's what Paul says. You just gave yourself over. You surrendered it over. See, sin tells us that it's going to make us free. And we actually think we're free. There are many people in the world today, each of us have been them at times, and each of us are them at times, who submit ourselves, present our members to sin, and we think in doing so is greater freedom and happiness than in obedience to Christ. And perhaps for a period of time, we even feel free. And that's why we hear people talk about that, right? They're, they're guided by the way they feel. I used to feel this way, oppressed, like I couldn't be myself. But now that I'm living in this sinful way, oh, it's finally me. I'm finally free to be who I want to be. That's the lie that sin tells us. It tells us that it will make us free, but it, it, the reality is the exact opposite. See, sin wants all of you. It doesn't just want part of you. Sin forces you to submit yourself to it. It will settle for nothing less than to sit on the throne of your life. Sin is not content to just have your hands is not content just to have your thoughts, your secret thoughts that you don't share with anyone else. It wants all of you. And so Paul says, just as you once presented your, your members, your whole being, your mind, your eyes, your hands, your feet, your heart, they, they were, these things were presented as slaves. They were handed over, surrendered to, Paul says, impurity and lawlessness. Impurity is the, it's the corruption that sin brings. It's a, it's a very strong word, this word impurity. It means uncleanness, 
filth, unnaturalness. It's used, this word, to refer to garbage, just rotting, festering garbage. It's, it's even used of a rotting corpse. In other words, impurity is, is indicating this is something we should be repulsed by. This is something we should be disgusted by. This is those things for which God gave you a gag reflex. They make you feel sick when you come in contact with them. They're things to be avoided at all costs. But what does Paul say? When we give ourselves to sin, instead of being repulsed by these things, we've given ourselves over to them. We've surrendered to them. Lawlessness, then, is rebellion against God's law. We want nothing to do with God. We want nothing to do with his righteousness. This is what sin desires to do in us. Instead of being repulsed by vile impurity, we are repulsed by God's righteousness. What an amazing thing to have happen to us, to reject that which is pure and good and lovely and beautiful and to choose instead a rotting corpse or garbage. This slavery to impurity and lawlessness, Paul says, leads to more lawlessness. This is the truth about sin. I'm sure we've all seen this play out in various ways, certainly not in ourselves, but in others. Sin is not stationary, is it? Sin's always moving. Sin is not something we can control. We might think we can, We might think we can manage a little bit of sin right over here and it's not going to spill over into the rest of our life, but Paul tells us it never, ever works like that. That is not how sin works. Sin is not freedom, it is slavery, and sin always gets worse. Sin pulls us down a slippery slope that goes from bad to worse. It drags the unbeliever through a downward spiral, morally speaking, where every part of their being is thoroughly corrupted in sin. We see this playing out in our world right now, don't we? If you're like me, there are times you scratch your head and you think, I can't believe adults who by all accounts are smart, functional people could possibly take these logical leaps that they're taking and believe the craziest things you've ever heard. Our society is quickly sliding into greater and greater ungodliness. That which we should find repulsive is openly celebrated. There there is literal dancing in the streets anytime there is so-called progress on abortion or LGBT issues. Literally, people take to the streets and dance. This is astounding. Of course, it's not progress. These things are not progress their judgment from God. Every time there is some sort of progress made in our nation on these issues, what it actually is is God judging our nation. It's lawlessness. It's lawlessness leading to more lawlessness. What we are seeing in these moments where we see this celebration of the most vile wickedness What we are seeing are the visible chains of the unbeliever's slavery to sin. When we see these things, we say, oh, this is is what it is. They're bound to sin. They're enslaved to sin. They must obey it. That's why you can't reason with people. 
because they're bound to this sin. And this is the state of every single unbeliever. They are enslaved to sin. Now, does it exhibit itself in different ways? Of course it does. But this is what Paul's telling us. Every unbeliever is enslaved to sin. How do we break these chains? Is there any way to true freedom? If all people are born into this slavery, as Paul has told us, how do we break free? Well, the way to true freedom is to bind ourselves to a new master. If we want to be free from this cruel, tyrannical master of sin, we must bind ourselves to a new master. The way to break free from our slavery to sin is to pursue becoming a slave of God, a slave of righteousness. And so Paul says this, Just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. There's not one single moment of our lives where we are not a slave. There's no gap of time between these two slaveries. Slave to sin and unrighteousness leading to more unrighteousness or slave to righteousness leading to sanctification. There's no gap there. When we're converted, the door of the prison cell was opened. Our chains were removed. We were led out of bondage. But we weren't just led out of slavery into neutral territory. Okay, you're free. Do the best you can do. Good luck out there. Don't go back. No, immediately as we were brought out of one thing, we were brought into another thing. We were brought into a new slavery with a gracious, loving master. This is so important for us to know because it is easy for us to misunderstand freedom. There's popular false teaching today. It plays itself out. It doesn't really have an official name. We could call it non-lordship salvation. It's just this basic idea that says I can be genuinely converted, broken free from my slavery to sin, brought out from underneath that condemnation. I'm saved from that. And yet I've not become a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, I can believe in him, and maybe you've heard people use this language, I've believed in Jesus as my Savior, but I've not yet submitted to him as Lord. Just believe in him and then live however you want, and that's good enough. That belief saved you as if you've been brought out of that slavery into neutral territory. Now you just do what you want. That's a very popular way of thinking. And even those who would say, hear me explain that and go, okay, no, 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 that's not good. Even many who would say that live as if that's what they believe. Their lives prove they actually think that. They think they can live however they want. The problem with that kind of thinking is it completely contradicts what the Bible says. It produces false converts who are still enslaved to sin but think that they've been made free. They're still under condemnation but they think that they're saved. Paul says there are two ways and only two. No middle ground in between. Presenting ourselves to sin, surrendering all of us to it as obedient slaves of sin, or presenting ourselves wholly to God as slaves of righteousness. Just as presenting ourselves to sin surely leads to increasing lawlessness 100% of the time, So slavery to righteousness leads 100% of the time 
to increasing holiness, or the theological word is sanctification. This is such practical stuff for us. What Paul is saying here to us is so practical for how we live our lives. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 says, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one may see the Lord. We're to strive for holiness. And the author of the Hebrews says, without this holiness, no one will see the Lord. Now, that doesn't mean be holy so that you can see the Lord. It means that in order to see the Lord, you must be first freed from your bondage to slavery. You must be bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. You must be bound to God if you are going to see the Lord. And if that's true of you, if you have been united with Christ in that way, your life will show it. Your life will give proof that that has happened to you. And friends, you need to know this isn't optional. This isn't like, okay, but those are the like top shelf Christians. For me, I'm like, just do it good enough for me that I believe in Jesus. And No, 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 this isn't an option. This isn't an optional add-on to the Christian life that gets you more merit badges in heaven one day. This is a command. Paul doesn't say, it'd be a good idea. You know, God has done so much for you, it would be nice if you'd obey him. He doesn't say, your life is gonna just be so much better if you'd live righteously. If you live righteously, think of how much happier you'd be of the, the problems you could avoid. Now, that's not what Paul says. He doesn't give a suggestion. He gives a direct command. Present your members as slaves to righteousness. Command. It's a very practical command. One of the things I love about this command, it's not unclear. It's not confusing. There's no real gray areas here. It is straightforward. Present your members, all of you, to Christ, to righteousness as obedient slaves. Present your mind to righteousness. What do you think about? What do you let yourself dwell upon? What do you imagine? Do your thoughts honor the Lord? Present your mind to righteousness. Present your eyes as slaves to righteousness. What are you looking at? Is it good? Is it pure? Is it just? Present your mouth as a slave to righteousness. What are you saying? What are the words that you're speaking? Are you speaking things that tear down? Are you speaking things that cause division? Is your mouth filled with gossip and lying? Or do your words give grace and edify others? Are you, are you presenting your mouth to righteousness, or are you just coasting and then making excuses? That's just how I am. I tend to see the negative. Present your ears as slaves to righteousness. What are you listening to? Gossip, slander, lies, impurity? What about your hands and feet? Are you presenting the things that you do, the very direction of your life as slaves to righteousness, or do your actions indicate something different about you? Paul's giving us very practical advice here. Those who have been freed from their slavery to sin will live in a way that testifies to their conversion. In other words, the sure result of justification is sanctification. Now, does that mean perfectly 
We never stumble. We never gossip. We never speak a word in anger. We never find ourselves following into some habitual pattern of sin. No, it doesn't mean that. But the direction of my life will testify rightly about me. Have I been made into a new creation? Are the old things gone? Have all things been made new? It goes on in verse 20. When you were slaves of sin... You were free in regard to righteousness. Such an important statement for us because we do misunderstand freedom. We think freedom means I can do whatever I want. I'm nobody's slave. The truth is, as Paul has told us, all people begin already as slaves to sin and they continue to live in that bondage. And Paul says to believers, that was once your condition too. When you were slaves of sin. Prior to our conversion, we too were slaves of sin. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Speaking to Christians, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. All people are in that category right there. It doesn't matter what kind of family you grew up in. It doesn't matter if you had a Christian education. It doesn't matter if you tried to obey your parents. Prior to your conversion, you were a slave to sin. Your entire life was lived in this prison cell at the bottom of this pit of sin. Your heart, your mind, your will, your body were all enslaved to your sinful desires. Your entire being was bound in sin. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 2, you were dead in sin. There was nothing vibrant, living, and free about you. We lived totally under the dominant rule of sin. That's how sin demands that we live. That's the only way sin will have it. Sin demands, and like obedient slaves, we obeyed. That was our life. And that's the life of all who are apart from Christ. It's true that that's more obvious in some people than it is, because it's easy for us at this point to look around and go, no, 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 no. Even before my conversion, I did a lot of good things. And I know a lot of people who are unbelievers that do a lot of good things. You know, it's more obvious in some people than it is in others, but Paul's perfectly clear here. It's true of everybody. Apart from Christ, all people are bound in sin to the extent that sin commands and they obey. He says, though, when you were slaves of sin... You are free in regard to righteousness. So if we don't like this idea of having been freed from one kind of slavery just to be immediately brought into a new kind of slavery, if that rubs us wrong, boy, I don't think I like this language of slave to righteousness, masters and and slaves. If we think we want to just do whatever we want to do, Paul tells us at what point we're free from slavery to righteousness. He says, well, you weren't a slave to righteousness when you were already a slave to sin. Righteousness didn't own you when sin owned you. That, by the way, is not a good thing. We shouldn't be hoping for that. Paul's telling us, 
how much better this is. The reason you were free from obligation to pursue righteousness is because you were dead in sin. You were totally enslaved. You had no power to fulfill the righteousness that God requires. There was a moral inability in you to be righteous. And on top of that, you had no desire whatsoever to change that. Paul's showing us how good it is to be brought into this slavery to righteousness. Verse 21, Paul says, Okay, so at that time when you were a slave to sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. What fruit? What benefit? What profit? Christian, look back on your life prior to your conversion and the sin that you once lived in. What lasting benefit came from that? Even in your lives now, these besetting sins, these, these sins that we are tempted to fall into, don't we, don't we perhaps in, in, in the immediate moments following sin, look back on it and go, what was I thinking? That's disgusting, that's death. The obvious answer to Paul's question, what fruit were you getting? What benefit were you getting? The the answer is none. Paul says, in fact, the things of which you're now ashamed. He knows that for all believers, we look back on our sin. We look at our sin and we say, there's no good that comes from that. I'm ashamed of that. Some of you might be like me. There are unfortunately Many things that I can look back on from my childhood and teenage years of which I am deeply ashamed. At the time, I thought I was being funny. At the time, I thought I was being cool, whatever it was. Now, I look back on my actions and my words, and I see them as totally shameful. I cringe when I think about the memories that some people must have of me that are from my past. As a believer, the things you you loved before your conversion, you now hate. You you turn from those sins. You renounce those sins. This is a distinguishing mark of the new birth. That we have hated, renounced, and turned from our former way of sin. This is a godly, grace-filled Shame. It doesn't drive us to despair. It drives us to worship. That's why we sing these great hymns like Amazing Love. How could it be that thou, my God, would die for me? Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. This is a, a godly, grace-filled shame. We live in a culture where we're told we have to do everything we possibly can to keep people from feeling any shame whatsoever. Don't shame them. Don't tell them. Don't use the word sin. That that causes people to feel shame. The right kind of shame is actually a gift from God. And the lack of shame is a mark of condemnation. So what Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 12 says. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among the fallen. When I punish them, they shall be overthrown, says the Lord. 
The lack of shame is not a good thing. It's a mark of condemnation. It's a mark of a, of a seared conscience and a heart of stone. Paul says then, why are we ashamed of these things? Why are they fruitless? For the end of those things is death. So Paul answers his own question. What fruit did you get from your sin? And the answer is death. Not just physical death. We'll, we'll see in verse 23 as we look at it next week. That deserved a, a week all its own, that verse. The wages, the paycheck for sin is what? Death. The harvest of living sinful lives is shame, uncleanness, lawlessness, wickedness, disease, depression, destruction, death, even worse. Paul has in mind here something far worse than these, than these earthly things, the second death. That's the outcome. That's the paycheck for sin. That's the paycheck of being an obedient slave to sin instead of an obedient slave to righteousness, the second death that lasts forever. The outcome of any life that's lived in rebellion against Christ is eternal death, eternal punishment, torment in hell forever. Oh, if, you're, if you're a believer, this is what you've been spared from. This is what you've been delivered from. But for those who are living apart from Christ, it's the sure outcome of their lives. It is the just paycheck for their lives. That is bad news. That is scary news. But, but the bad news is what makes the good news so glorious. Verse 22, but now you have been set free from sin, have become slaves of God. The fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Also, Paul delivers these words about what slavery to sin is, that it's fruitless, that it ends in death, and then he, then he immediately follows it with, but now. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, thank God for all the buts in the Bible. Oh, what good news it is to see that word following. This doesn't have to be my end. This doesn't have to be. Thanks be to God for this great change that has happened to us. Thank God for his saving action in the Lord Jesus Christ, for, for God's Spirit's work in our regeneration, and for his transforming us into Christ's likeness. But now that you have been set free and have become slaves to God. These, these verbs, have been set free and have become, in both cases in the Greek grammar, are passive participle verbs. So you know what that means. I'm just kidding. You don't know what that means. All right, here, here's what it means. I'm sabotaging my own point by making needless jokes. Active voice means you're the one doing the action. Passive voice means you are being acted upon. So... Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God. Paul is telling us you didn't do either one of those things yourself. Someone else acted upon you. 
Someone else was active, and you were the passive recipient of their work. Of course, that active someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. He broke your chains. He redeemed you out of your bondage and slavery to sin. He united you to himself. He brought you from death to life. He gave his spirit to you, transforming your life. You are now changed completely by this work that he has done for you. J.C. Ryle says, to be born again is to enter a new existence. It's to have a new mind, new heart, new views, new principles, new tastes, new affections, new likes, new dislikes, new fears, new joys, new sorrows, new love of things that you once hated, new hatred of things you once loved, new thoughts of God, new thoughts of yourself, new thoughts of the world, new thoughts of the world to come, and a new life in Christ. This is what God has done, a total transformation of the total person, such that once our members in totality were presented as obedient slaves to sin, now our members, because of this work of Christ in us, are presented as obedient slaves to righteousness. We, in, in reality, have been made totally new. By this reality, by this miracle of God, he's caused us to be born again into his family. We are justified, declared righteous. We are adopted. We're set free from sin and Satan, and we are kept by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are indwelled by the Spirit of God. We are now able to live lives of obedience that please God when once all we did was obey our master, sin. We're children of God with free access to our Father. We come to him in the name of Jesus and God truly hears and answers our prayers. Is that not astounding? Have you just been around the Christian world for too long to be amazed by that? That God would hear your prayer? Not that God hears prayers. He's listening to you pray. Isn't that weird? Think about what you're like. And God would listen to you would answer your prayers. God gives to us daily sufficient grace to abound in every good work. This is total transformation. Formerly we were ashamed, but now we boast in our Savior. We rejoice in our new status of slaves of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Christian is actually not put off by being told that they are a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's glorious news to them. We boast in the one who came to us in the slave market of sin and purchased us with his own precious blood. He destroyed our death by his death on the cross and gave to us instead eternal life. Now, the people of the world might look at us with mockery. They might slander us. They might lie about us, but God has given to us great dignity, by calling us his slaves. Something that can never be taken away from us. And we know that, it mean, that, that to be a slave of God means that we are also his beloved children. We've received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. We are loved by God. And friends, a mocking world, a slandering world cannot take that from us. It is who we are. But now, 
The fruit you yield leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Just as surely as our obedience, our slavery to sin resulted in unrighteousness, lawlessness leading to more lawlessness and death, even more surely, those who have been united to Christ, those who have been made his obedient slaves, will bear fruit of sanctification, will bear fruit that ends in eternal life. We've been set free from sin. We've been enslaved to God, and as a result, we will not be fruitless trees. We will bear this fruit. We will. Every Christian, every single genuine Christian will bear this fruit. We are branches connected to the vine, and so we will, we must bear fruit. Justification leads surely to an obedient life. If it doesn't lead to holy living, then it is not real salvation. Jesus freed us from sin, not so that we could still live in us in it, but to unite us to himself eternally. Oh, friends, this is such glorious news, this work of Christ in our lives. The sure fruit that will come from salvation. We are saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. Jesus is our righteousness. Jesus is our sanctification. Jesus is our glorification. We are new creations in Christ. And what's the purpose of this new life we've been given? Paul tells us, Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10 After Paul has just said what we read earlier, that we were dead in our sins under the condemnation of God, and then he says this of Christians, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That's the purpose of the new life you've been given. As God's obedient children, we do good works for his glory. We walk the paths of righteousness that he has laid out for us. So, friends, examine yourself. Examine your life. Are you bearing fruit in keeping with salvation? It would be, it would be a grave injustice to look at this passage this morning and then not examine our lives. If you're not bearing fruit in keeping with salvation, it may well be because you're not actually saved. You've not actually been converted. You're still a slave of sin. Because the fruit of salvation is actually the proof of salvation. This fruit of sanctification, this righteous living. Again, not perfectly. But if we are in Christ, we will bear the fruit of salvation. Our lives of obedience will show show forth the genuineness of our faith. And if our life is not doing that, it may well be because our faith is not genuine saving faith. We have been trying to get by on believing in Jesus, believing a certain list of facts, but refusing to submit our lives before him. So what do we do? What do we do in response to this work that God has done in our lives? Paul told us in verse 19. 
This is a practical action step for every single one of us, no matter where we fall on that spectrum of, I've been a Christian for a long, long time, or the one who thinks they're a Christian, but they're actually not. Here's what Paul would tell us. Present your members as slaves to righteousness. Oh, we need to reaffirm this every day. We need to reaffirm this every hour. We, we may know that we need to do this, but it kind of leaks out of us, especially when we get irritated with somebody or we don't like something. And we need to remind ourselves to present all of us as slaves to righteousness. When Paul begins the section on practical instructions, starting in chapter 12, he's going to start by saying this, chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Friends, let's remind ourselves today. Let's remind ourselves daily to present our members as slaves to righteousness, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. In other words, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus over and over again on an ongoing basis. Come to him. Submit yourself before him. Obey him and prove yourself to be one of his children. Not by working for your salvation, but by working out your salvation. There's a big difference between those two things. One is a false gospel that sends people to hell. The other is the sure result of true salvation. We work out our salvation if we've actually been saved. There's two choices. This is what Paul lays before us. It's really this simple. Remain in your slavery to sin or be enslaved to God. Jesus said if the Son sets you free, you'll be free Indeed, that's what it looks like to be free, to be a slave of God, the almighty creator who made you, who knows what's best for you, who is working all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. It is, it is in, our, in our submission to him that we find true freedom. May we believe this truth, but not just believe it, may we walk in this truth. Be transformed day by day by this truth for the glory of God and for our eternal joy. That is my prayer for myself. It is my prayer for you that we would believe and walk in and be transformed by this truth, what we have been brought out of and the glorious, the glorious freedom we've been brought into by being united to Christ. Amen. Let's pray together.